Okay, Boker Tov, we're at the in Gemormoy Kratin Yud Ches Hamid Aleph. We just are discussing the idea of uh, a mourner cutting the nails. So when uh, Shmuel said that you're allowed to cut the nails, uh, the question is, Sover Mine, the Gemara initially understood when Shmuel made his statement, Diyadin. That the hand nail, the fingernails, yes, the regalo, but the toenails, not. Okay, that's what the more ready thought. Why? Very obvious. Fingernails need to be cut so you don't look repulsive. Toenails uh, is merely, on a regular basis, is an indulgence. That's what the more thought. I guess you don't see the toes so much. Uh, but fingernails are right in front of you, so that's why it'd be more lenient to cut the fingernails for a mourner. But the more th- they did see the toenails too; they wore those sandals. Yeah, yeah but sandals. I guess but people didn't look down on the floor so much. I mean, your fingers are right in front yeah, of you absolutely. all the time. Shake people's hands, whatever. Anyway, that's what they thought. So, Amar Ravan and Bar Tachlifa, but Ravan and the son of Tachlifa said. Explicitly stated to me by Shmuel himself, doesn't matter fingernails or toenails, he can cut both of them. And if that's the case for a mourner, certainly on Cholamoid, which we know is much more lenient than a mourner, can be done as well. So that's what he said. However, not done yet. Qualifying this, Omar Avchia Barashi Omar Av. said, "However, you can only do it. What can't you? What can you cut it with? What can't you? Ubegenustera Asir. But you can't cut it with scissors or uh, an instrument that's used specifically to clip the nails. See." Rav teaches that one may not cut even fingernails in a usual manner with scissors or some other instrument. Rather, one must employ an unusual method, such as biting them with one's teeth or using one nail to cut another. In other words, you don't use a professional thing to do it with. Several authorities maintain that this qualification applies only in the case of a mourner, since nails can be trimmed adequately without scissors. The extra enhancement yielded by scissors is considered an adornment which is forbidden to a mourner. Though that is allowed. Others, however, even permit scissors on cholamoid. Ramon reports the current practice follows the stringent opinion. Okay, we'll have to see halacha But anyway, we see that for the mourner, even though you can cut it, we have to do it with an unusual way. Nowadays, I think scissors would be unusual because <laughs> we all use an air clippers. Okay. Okay, now we're going to have some certain behaviors of certain rabbis regarding cutting the nails on Cholamoy. I was once standing before Rabbi Yochanan in the base Medrash on Cholamoy. He removed his nails with his teeth. So you see, he did remove them, but not with regular equipment. And he cast them aside. 
in the base medrash. So when you see what rabbis are doing, you could learn from their behaviors. And therefore he said, Shmamine Klas. There are three things to learn from Rabbi Yochanan's behavior. Shmamina, number one, we see Mutor Lito You're allowed to cut your uh, fingernails Acholomoid, albeit in a uh, unusual fashion. And we learned that biting nails is not repulsive. Now remember, there is an isser of Do not make yourselves abominable, which has many applications for those who learned the Rambam in the Sefer HaMitzvahs. One of them is you have to go to the bathroom. You don't delay that unnecessarily. Another thing is you don't do things that gross people out in front of them. Okay, for example, drinking water from a blood letters tube, etc. Okay, you don't do things that, you know, people look at, Ugh, get out of here. So alternatively, the Gomorrah's point is that biting one's nails, uh, so therefore biting one's nails is not considered grossing people out. All the Gomorrah also says is also permitted in public. It is not deemed an offensive practice, which may not be done before the other people, like killing a louse or spitting or certain things that are grossed out behaviors. Okay, I think everything depends on the mores of the place, but there are certain things you just wouldn't do. So number, that was number two. Now comes the third one, and this is the one that gets us into an interesting discussion. We see from Yochanan's behavior, you can just throw him out on the floor like that. Although, as we'll see in a minute, Gamar says this can be harmful, as we shall see. Now, Tosfos argues that since Rabbi Yochum used his teeth, he evidently forbids the use of scissors to cut one nails on Cholamayim. It must be that because why did he bite it? Why didn't he use a, a, a tool? But other Rishon contend that if the proof is valid, that would have been a fourth thing they would have learned from him. Okay, I was just assuming that, but uh, Tosfos saying not necessarily. Like Gemara said, we learned four things from him. You can cut your nails on Cholamayim. And number two, but it can't be with a, t- a tool that's designated for that. Tosos would seem to say, since it didn't say that, they couldn't do that. Okay? They explained that no proof can be derived from this incident because it took place in a study hall where scissors aren't available. Who brings their nail clippers to the cell? I ask a better question. Who bothers cutting their nail in the study hall? That's a bigger question. You know? Unless... He just never leaves the study hall. If he's, yeah, okay. Again, you we'd have. It's a good question. We'd have to say if you remember. Well, we wouldn't remember. You didn't learn that. Um, there's a lot of halachas about a base medrash that you stay in all day long. Remember, we go to the base medrash for an hour, two hours, right? So certain behaviors you don't do. But if that's your home, mom is your home. You're there from sunup to sundown. You're like there like 18, 20 hours. So that's your home. So not you, you treat it like your home. And then you're you there, you, you know. Yeah. What? So you there? don't do inside. You don't bathe. Well, you can't because there's no there's right. no water. There's no water. But, but if there'd be a, a, sh- a sh- you know that you wouldn't put in a base medrash. No. Okay. No, so you, you can cut your nails no but it doesn't. 
this is his house. This is where he's doing it. He just goes home to go to sleep. We have a whole different idea. We have our home. We live in our home. We occasionally visit. We don't look at a shul. I'm not saying this negatively. We don't look at the shul as our home. It's a holy place. We go there. We treat it with respect. We don't live there. We live at home, and your homes are designed to live there. <laughs> okay? Now, in the olden days, if you were a Talmud Chacham, the shul was your home. Period. And who knows if they even went home. They may have slept in the shul, too. This was their... And, and you got to take a shower? <laughs> they went to the bathhouse. Remember, your house is... showers at the home anyway. In the homes, there were no showers. Right, but I'm just saying, what do you... Let, let's, let's be asked, what do you need your home for? I'm not, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying... To sleep with me. Okay, well, think about what you do in your house. Okay, you eat it... Every, oh, oh, everything, he said. Everything. You do everything in your house. And now even more, people even work in their house. Okay, now they even work in their house. Okay, but I'm saying, but what do you do? You live there, you enjoy yourself, you... Uh, uh, eating supper, you, you do, you, many people even learn in their house. Their house is their home, okay? And they and they temporarily visit the shul. And that's why really, that's why we should be much more strict in the base medrash to not eat in the base medrash, because it's not your home. Okay. Didn't they eat a whole day when they were in the base medrash? They would eat, so they would. Yeah, they were eating then. So they would eat in the base medrash. Why would he want to leave? How long do you think they spend eating? Think they have these half an hour meals? No. How long does it take to eat? Five minutes. Five, uh, five minutes. You have a piece of bread, a little whatever, a little fish, whatever. Well, ten minutes. Okay. They bench. They lived. A, a Talmud Chacham. We're talking about Talmud. We're not talking about a worker. The guy worked. He was on the fields all day. They went home for what? Basically, go to sleep. What else? What What are you supposed to be doing in your house but sleeping? You know, and you have a meal. You have a meal in your house. The bathroom, they went outside anyway to go to the bathroom. So what else did they do in their house? Who needed such a big house? How, how much space does a bed take? How much space does a little table take? They didn't have big houses. I'm just saying. So, but, but in a base medrash, if you're a Talmud Chacham, okay, which was very few people, but they lived in the base medrash. And it could be they did, and certain rabbis, for example, they only came home once a week for Shabbos. So for them, it was, well, you need to have a bed. They slept there too? You, you put your head down and sleep for a couple hours. That, you don't have to understand, we, you know, sleeping is, is, a, is a major part of our life. And I'm not critic. we're not on these levels. When you're talking about a, someone like Rabbi Yochanan, I mean, we're not talking about a regular guy here. Rabbi Yochanan is like mamish, like a malach. He doesn't care about all these things. So nails, okay, never. He's got long nails. He has to cut them. So what? He's gonna. He wouldn't even do it at home. He may not even have owned a clipper for all we know. So that he lived like that in his house. So there was no question about doing the base medrash because he lived there. Okay, we don't live here, therefore we have to treat the shul with much more respect. Okay, so that's the three things we learned, and we're going to now attack or question the last one. You could he just cast it like this and put it like that on the floor. 
So Laini, how could that be? How could he do that third thing? Fatani, we learn a Brisa the following way. There's three halachas said about the ways of disposing of your fingernails and toenails, I guess the same. Three things were said regarding to nails. Hakovran, if you bury your fingernails, tzadik. That you're righteous. That's the best level. That's permanently getting rid of them. Sarfan, if you burn them, chasid, which is a level lower. Zarkon, if you just toss it out, Russia, you're a wicked person. Now, why is that so? Well, we'll see. The Gemara is going to go in much more detail. But uh, a fingernail that's uh, on the floor could be very jagged, very pointy. It's like almost, almost not exactly like a nail. Okay? Now, what could happen? A pregnant lady could be walking by, and by stepping on it, she could miscarry. Okay? They're very sensitive. You know, they get all upset. Uh, you know, they can get all mental, you know. Did you ever step on a nail in your life? I did once. Okay, it's, it's a little bit scary. A little bit scary. So, the righteous person buries them to avoid this possibility. The pious person goes to the extra length of burning them. That's higher level. I'm sorry, higher level. Assuring nails will never become uncovered. If you bury them, you never know. Someone may kick up the sand and the nail comes out. If you burn them, you're never going to see them again. But if you just toss them out, you're a Russia. So, looks like, what's Rabbi Yochanan a Russia? How could this be? So what are you going to answer? Let's see if you can think of the answer. It's a dirt floor. He just covered it over with dirt. Well, he tossed it there and afterwards he was going to go and... He's what? He tossed it there and afterwards he was going to pick it up and put it somewhere else. He swept them afterwards? Yeah. Okay. What's the problem? What do we say the problem is? On the floor? Ah, there's no women. Are women in the basement? Was there a... How about a man stepping on it? Man won't, won't hurt, affect a man. Because no. last time I checked, so far, men don't get pregnant. But we said only if it's a pregnant woman will miscarry from it. Okay, so far, you know, I hope I hope they never come to that day where the man has a baby. You know, science, who knows what science could do? I hope Hashem will not allow them to do that. Anyway, but the point is, so let's see if we're correct, guys. Time up. What's my so? What's the reason why you're not allowed to toss them out? Shema taver tapil. A woman will miscarry from it. Why? Her revulsion at seeing them might have a physical effect on her. Alternatively, nail trimmings affect miscarriage through supernatural means. So that's kabbalistic. But anyway, women who are pregnant are very sensitive. You know that's why if a woman's hungry, she eats. Uh, all these things, even on Yom Kippur, is, they're very, they're whatever, their their levels of tolerance are different. Uh, okay. So, so let me just do one more line. Isha and a woman, a woman doesn't frequent the study hall. So there's no problem over there. Okay. I, Vechit, and if you want to say, and we say sometimes the nails are collected from the floor of the study hall and are tossed outside. 
What are you going to do with them? If you're not, you know, they are going to clean up. Going to toss it outside. All right. So isn't that going to be a problem? Because of the outside women are there. So the answer is interesting rule. Kivan di ishtanoi ishtanoi. Since they've changed their location, they change their location. It's not hazardous. Only when from their initial fall. If you're going to learn Kabbalistic reasons, then we can understand the Kabbalah is the Kabbalah. You know, where it immediately falls, then we could say this, whatever, some kind of impurity and mystical problem. But once you move it out, it's not. Uh, so, or they're not as repulsive, whatever. So that uh, takes care of that issue. Yeah, no. So originally, I think we were saying it was hazardous, right? She might step on it. So now they're saying it's because it will gross her out. Right. Because it was hazardous, there was a lot more hazardous things in the public domain than nails, fingernails. Well, you can't do that either. Right. Well, you're not allowed. That's for any. That's for anybody. Right. So we say. This is specific. We say a guy's hired because he put his fingernails in the public domain. Well, if if she would miscarry by seeing it, that'll be an interesting question. Or she stepped on it. Okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe you'd be high. Maybe it's a board versus a rabbit. You'd have, to, you'd have to know. Maybe, could be. Okay, now, so that explains the behavior of Rabbi Yochanan. What about shoes? You didn't walk barefoot down that public domain. Even back then, so, okay, so, so we'll have to go to the other interpretation that it just grosses them out. Oh, that's the difference. I'm saying seeing fingernails, ugh. Okay, now, related story. A pair of Torah scholars came before Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Umar Zutra Masne, but before going on with the story, Gemara has another source for this. Umar Zutra Masi, Marzutra taught in a brisa. In other words, he taught this incident in a brisa as opposed to reporting in the name of Rabbi Yehuda. Okay, different people who related the story. Okay. Zugba, Machmason, Lifnei, Rebbe, a pair of scholars came to Rebbe. So everyone agrees it was a pair of scholars who came to Rebbe. question is, who told the story? Fine. Ubichu, Mimenu, Tzipornayim. And they asked Rebbe whether one may cut his nails. What does that mean? If a mourner can cut, then one shot says, if a mourner can cut his nails. The other one says, can you cut him a So it's a debate, what were they at? But they were asking, can we cut nails either as a mourner or a The and he permitted it to them. And the bikesh mimenu sofa hitrlohem. And it was evident from Rebbe's remarks at the time that if they would have asked him about cutting the hair over the lip, he would have permitted them as well. That is to say, he can shave off his mustache. Thus we learn that he or any other man does not thereby violate the prohibition of shaving off your payas. Because these are not called payas. I mean, payas, not these kinds of payas, but the points, the five points. So this is not a point. Okay, that's one shot. Alternatively, the Gemara means merely that a mortar may trim his mustache if he gets in the way of food that he eats. That's the more push-up shot. Some authorities permit this even during the seven-day period of mourning, where others allow it only after the seven days. As mentioned in the previous note, many Rishonim understand this discussion for in a rather than to a mourner. 
in their opinion, a mourner may not trim his mustache at all, even the 30-day mourning period, and even if it interferes with eating. So Machlokas, we showed him how to learn that. We generally are lenient, and if it really is bothering you, you can trim it a little bit. Anyway, so it seemed from Rabbi, Rabbi that you could even uh, trim off or the mustache. Shave it off. He said, shave it even shave it off. And Shmuel says, in fact, they did ask him about cutting the hair above the lip, and he permitted it for them. Fine. Okay. Amar Avital. Now the last point is clarified. Amar Avital Safra Mishra Rav. Rav Avital said the name of Rav. Safa Misavis Lazavis. The lip above the hair, you can cut it from one corner of the mouth to the other corner of the mouth, okay? Because any of the food can get in the way and it becomes repulsive as long as it's over the mouth. Okay. Amar Ravami, uh, and Ravami says, Ubisofa hamak keves, but it's only hair that blocks the food from coming in. In other words, only if it gets in the way of the food. Not if you just want to have a nice, more uh, uh, cut that might look more handsome. In other words, he doesn't disagree with Ravavital Amarav, but he's just qualifying. It's got to get in the way of the food. So if you really think about it, that'd have to be quite a bit. Like it has to go a little bit over here. It has to go, how does it get in the way of your food? It's got to be over, over the lip. Over the lip, right? Uh, uh, okay. In any case, all hair above the lip is treated as hair above the lip that blocks the fast. In my case, in my case, he was a very fastidious person. He was bothered by any hair that grew above his lip. In other words, it's just anything that grew above, even didn't block the food. I'm such a mafunak. It just makes me crazy that I couldn't do it. Okay. Another statement, now that we're saying statements in his name, this has nothing to do with what we're learning. It's just the same rabbi saying a statement. And this one is, you have to understand this for sure on a Kabbalistic way. Okay, this is not Pashup Shot. Okay. We're going to discuss the height of Paro of Mitzrayim and the height of his reproductive Organ. Paro Moshe, the Paro who was in the dams of Moshe, because there's a lot of Paros, but the part named Moshe. So, who Amma, he was one Amma tall, 18 inches. Okay. Obviously, this is symbolic. The Zikama, his beard was one Amma long. Okay. Uparmashtako Amma Vazeris, and his reproductive organ. Was a one ama plus a zeres. Now these measurements are intended metaphorically. Paro is described as being only one ama tall to symbolize he was a lowly, despised man. In other words, in terms of integrity, he was like this low. You know, you know. They. I don't remember when you were a kid. You know, when you'd want to insult people, you'd say you're really low. A low life. He's like. You're as low, I forgot exactly the Lushen. If you're as low, you're as low as the curb on the street. <laughs> that was like an expression. You're as low as the curb on the street. Now, we didn't think he's that tall. 
but he's a low life. So Paro was a low life, that all he was was an ama of, of respectability, so to speak. The equivalence between the length of his beard, now beard is meant to be the glory of a man's face, and his height signifies that his lowliness was matched by his vanity. That is, the more despised he was, the more he lorded himself arrogantly over Israel. Both measurements are exceeded by the length of his member, his reproductive organ, thus demonstrating that he was overwhelmed by lust. So he was a low life in so many ways, but when it came to uh, morality, man, he was... He was also low. No, it was more. He was into it. It was an amavazeris. It was more than a more. So whatever. In other words, he was low. He he killed babies. That's pretty low. He was vain for honor. It was low. But guess what? He even had was more immoral than vain and low. In other words. So in other words. Probably, you know, we're talking, it's a good way of understanding Rishoyim. <laughs> okay? So, Russia, he's low, he's a low life. But the low life seemed to be much more focused on immorality than the low lifeness of themselves. That seems to be. Exactly, exactly. You got it. Okay, now, why uh, why are we saying this? Because it's alluded to, not these measurements exactly, but it's alluded to an apostuk. L'kaim Emar, it fulfills the apostuk that says in Daniel, God rules over the kingdom of man, and he appoints the lowest of men over it. Okay? And, you know, I guess, you know, that was when you had, uh, what's his name, um... Nebuchadnezzar and these people, you know, when he, he rules, but when we're bad, he puts the lowliest of people in charge. Okay, we got another statement from this Rav, by Rav, and he's while we're on the topic of Paro and this person, we have another thing to say about Paro. Paro in the time of Moshe was an Amgushi. What's an Amgushi? It's more in Shabbos, the Machlokas, what an Amgushi is. Rav says it's a sorcerer. Shmuel says it's a blasphemer. Some relate Amgushi to the Magi, a priestly caste in ancient Persia. It makes sense as a sorcerer, because Paro told Moshe when Moshe, when Aaron threw the stick down and he got a snake, said, Ah, you think that impressed us? We're all a bunch of sorcerers. So he was a sorcerer. And how do we know this? Shinemarat says, Hashem said to Moshe, go to Paro. He goes out to the Nile River in the morning because he would bathe there every morning. According to the opinion that defines Amgushi as a sorcerer, far frequently the Nile for purpose of sorcery. According to the view of blasphemer, because he would say, mine is the river. I've made it. He says, like, I made the Nile River. That's idolatry. So that's like sorcery. So, uh, and what did he really want to do? Because he, he told him, you see, I'm a god. I never go to the bathroom. So when he stood, at, when he was in the palace at 9 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night, he never left his throne. Wow, the guy's amazing. No, he had a very good bladder control. He would go early in the morning to the Nile River, relieve himself there from 24 hours of holding it out. And then, and then no, nobody was there early in the morning. 
And then they think, wow, he's really a god. He doesn't go to the bathroom. So Hashem sends Moshe to him, pumped at that time, go with him then as he's relieving himself to say, I'm on to your Mishigasim. So again, you see, there's always deception in this world, for sure. Okay, that ends this topic over here. So we got another three, four minutes. So let's just jump into the topic now of we're not allowed to wash our clothes on Cholamoid in general. The Mishnah said there's an exception, remember? A guy came, he wasn't able to do it before. He's allowed to. So the question is, how many clothes can you wash? <laughs> Again, in those days, how many how many clothes do you think they had? Yeah, one, maybe one or two. Okay. That's right. So, he explains what's going on. Another instance when you're allowed. Also, If a guy only has one shirt, he can certainly wash it on Cholamoy. Right? Remember, they did it. Why was this prohibition? So your clothes should be clean before Yantav. Same idea. But the guy's only got one garment. So even if he washes it before Yantav, He'll have to wash it again on Cholamoyed. So therefore he says that's an exception. If you only have one garment, that's all you have. However, Mosif Rav but Rav Yermio says, wait a minute, but our Mishnah didn't say that. When our Mishnah said, what are the exceptions? Elu mechapsim b'moyed, who can wash their clothes on Cholamoyed? Habam those who came from overseas, and other things jail of that. But they didn't say, the Mishnah did not say, and a guy who has only one shirt. So then why are you, are you telling me a guy with only one shirt? So he answers, so oh, the question is, honey, in. it seems these, yes. But the ones they didn't mention, no. And they didn't mention, one guy didn't mention the guy who doesn't only have one shirt. So the Mishnah said, these are the guys. So they should have mentioned the guy only has one shirt. But they didn't, so it's mash with one shirt, doesn't matter. So he says, let me explain to you what the Mishnah means. I will explain to you. The Mishnah says, these are the people who can get exceptions to the rule for washing their clothes. Our Mishnah is speaking, we're talking about people, yes, from overseas, you can launder your clothing, even if he has two tunics that are soiled. In other words, he was away. And all his clothes are dirty. So now the question is, can he, maybe he only can wash one? I'll call him white. So he says, no, these people from far away, even if they have two garments, they can wash them both. Armis refers only to people who own two or more tunics. Shortly before the festival, they could wash one tunic, put it on immediately, and then wash the other one. And this way they could avoid the need to wash the tunic on Cholomite. Consequently, they're forbidden to wash their tunics and cholamoid, even if all of them are soiled, except in the circumstance listed below. But it's before young if you wash them. So this mission doesn't speak like with one tunic. In other words, if you have, you come from Medina Sayyam, and you got your whole laundry, so you could wash whatever clothes you'll need for cholamoid. It's only two, according to Well, I guess they, did, they, they didn't wear more than They didn't wear more than two at a time. Uh, but our days, again, we're very mifunaking. We have to take three showers a day, and we have to change our shirt every day 
because if you live Nebuch wear it for two days, you're going to die. So, okay, so if we come from Medina Sayyam on Cholomite, you could wash enough for one shirt every day, how much you need. That's how much you can wash. Okay, and that, so for our practical point, since we own many shirts, I would assume that most of us here have more than one shirt, and let's say you even have more than seven shirts. So what you got to do is you got to wash all the clothes before Cholomoid and have it all ready to go. Yeah. On the other hand, if you have little children who run through even all the clothes that you have through uh, seven days, eight days, it's like not Shaykh, the kid's going to have that many clothes. <laughs> little babies need two or three outfits a day, they soil through them. Then you can wash. Question is how much? You'd wash exactly how much you need for the rest of Cholomoid, but not a full load that goes even past Cholomoid. Okay, good place to stop. Yashur Koyach, everybody.